Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. A deal is brewing to pave the way for House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy to become speaker. We hear some analysis on the key terms of the deal and fundraising efforts by holdouts. The Texas Attorney General says the federal government is breaking the law after a rule change in immigration policy. The state is now suing the Biden administration. The TSA has a new trans-friendly airport screening policy. A group of Republican legislators have cried foul, citing security risks and calling the new policy insanity. The University of Idaho murder suspect makes his first court appearance in Idaho. The community responds to the latest developments, including an unsealed affidavit. At the Capitol today, the battle for the gavel wages on. After a 7th to 11th round of voting yesterday, Republican Kevin McCarthy was unable to secure the House Speaker role. A group of 20 Republicans is blocking his ascension. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more on their reasons. The gentleman is recognized. Representative Matt Gates took the House floor Thursday to nominate former President Trump for the position of House Speaker. He used the opportunity to give his underlying reason for his opposition to McCarthy's ascension. This government for far too long has been deeply corrupt. This town has been deeply corrupt. The way people get leadership positions and chairmanships and opportunities to be able to morally preen has been by accepting lobbyist and special interest money and redistributing that money as currency for favors. Gates says he's not criticizing either political party, but rather how things in Congress have been allowed to go down. If we just go next man up on our side of the aisle, we will reify that corrupt system and we will abandon the people who are expecting us to fight for them. The Florida congressman has been one of McCarthy's most vocal critics with comments like this. If you want to drain the swamp, you cannot put the biggest alligator in charge of the exercise. Trump only received one vote. The former president is urging House Republicans to get things done and back McCarthy. <laughs> Gates says he's worried if McCarthy gets elected, it will be business as usual. Specific reasons given by Gates include being dismissed by McCarthy on term limits, a first quarter budget balance, and a border plan from the Texas delegation. He says it comes down to trust and thinks McCarthy is liable to shift in his positions. Representative Lauren Boebert brought up similar issues and says the matter could have been resolved months ago, but McCarthy dismissed them. Border security for term limits. Just bring the bill to the floor so we can have a vote on term limits. Battle-seasoned military veterans in Congress are growing frustrated with a group of holdouts. But we've asked and we've asked, what is it you want? What do you need? But you have 20 people demanding the unconditional surrender of including this group of warriors. We will not unconditionally surrender. Tell us what you want. We might surrender if you tell us the terms, but just so you know, we're in the strong position. There's 201 of us and 20 of them. The stalemate has the potential to drag on for months. It essentially hamstrings operations until a speaker is elected. But 20 people are not going to be the majority of this House. McCarthy is confident of victory and says it's not how you start, it's how you finish. The entire conference is going to have to learn how to work together. So it's better that we go through this process right now so we can achieve the things we want to achieve for the American public. McCarthy losing his 11th bid makes it the longest contest for House Speaker in over 160 years. And it's not over yet. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. 
Now we get some analysis on the vote for House Speaker. We touch on what the negotiations might really be about, criticism of the holdouts, and fundraising surrounding the opposition to Congressman McCarthy's bid for Speaker. Joining us now is Jenna Ellis, constitutional law attorney and former senior advisor and counsel to President Trump. It's great to have you with us today, Jenna. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. The backroom bargaining being done by McCarthy's team is apparently closing in on a deal with conservatives opposing him. Lawmakers said a deal is emerging that could pave McCarthy's way, which includes giving the House Freedom Caucus better committee assignments and guardrails against excessive government spending. What can we expect to happen here in terms of negotiations? Yeah, well, I actually spoke to Congressman Bob Good this morning um, on my radio show, Jenna Ellis in the morning, and he said that this isn't so much about committee assignments and he wouldn't characterize it as a quote-unquote deal. What he said is this is all about making sure that there is the proper appropriate leader in Congress and also this is about the rules. For example, um, there are so many times that legislation is passed without even giving the opportunity for members to read it. So the Freedom Caucus is asking for at least a minimum of three days so that the members can go line by line through uh, each of these bills and no more of these omnibus bills where there are so many different things that are thrown into one package that if there's nine great things but one really bad thing, then there's no way really to excise that one uh, detrimental and damaging thing. So they're asking for things that in my view seem very common sense. And my question to him was, why on earth would Kevin McCarthy oppose that? And I think that's something that the only Kevin majority really needs to address. Well, we know some of these bills can be thousands of pages. Congressman Scott Franklin of Florida implied that the stalemate in the House over the Speaker, due to what he calls political grandstanding, is benefiting the U.S.'s global adversaries. What's your reaction to this? Um, I don't think that that's true at all. I think it is great for the American people to see Congress actually debating something and not just rubber stamping a leader because uh, this isn't about a Lifetime Achievement Award or entitlement. This is all about Congress making sure that they are truly getting done what is in the best interest for the American people. And another thing is that only because of the very slim majority um, is this able to happen. If Kevin McCarthy had actually supported more America first candidates, uh, not only in the primaries, but also the generals. And we had actually had the red wave that a lot of conservatives were anticipating. He would have been insulated from uh, 20 defectors. He is faced with a slim majority in the House. Representatives opposed to McCarthy becoming Speaker include Matt Gates and Arizona's Aaron Andy Biggs. They're attempting to fundraise through donations from supporters as they block McCarthy's bid for Speaker. What do you make of this? And is this common? Well, I think it's common, you know, across um, across Congress that a lot of times uh, people do fundraise off of various issues and whether or not, um, you know, that ultimately looks good in terms of the public's reaction to this. Um, I think that what's more important than the uh, fundraising issue is the fact that so many Americans and common sense voters across the country are encouraging the 20 to stand firm. What do you think we should expect to see here in terms of the GOP's priorities, like investigating the DOJ? investigating President Biden. Well, once we do get a speaker in place, uh, Jim Jordan has been very clear that investigations will happen. And I think that for the good of the American people, for the good of the Constitution, and for the good of the nation, these investigations, especially surrounding uh, the COVID mandates, surrounding the Twitter files that have been released, even Hunter Biden's laptop and the Biden crime family, all of these things do need to be investigated because the House does have oversight. So, um, you know, there's not a lot of hope that more legislation will be passed in this term. 
Well, it's great to have your update. Jenna Ellis, constitutional law attorney and former senior advisor and counsel to President Trump. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. A columnist for a Chinese media company is cheering on the current fight in Congress over McCarthy's speakership. The opinion piece was posted on Chinese media outlet Guancha. It suggests that McCarthy's failing to become Speaker of the House could spell good news for China. McCarthy has pledged to take action regarding China once he's elected Speaker. That includes taking a tough line on Beijing and spearheading a House Select Committee on China. He also plans to visit Taiwan if he gets the gavel. However, some of the Republicans opposing McCarthy are also known for their tough stance against the Chinese Communist Party. The opinion piece is consistent with the CCP's tactic to encourage discord between Americans. Texas is suing the federal government over a change in immigration procedure. The state says Washington is ignoring a law that prohibits immigrants from residing in the U.S. if they'll rely on government benefits. Here's more. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton filed a lawsuit on Thursday accusing the Biden administration of ignoring a federal immigration law. The law in question prevents illegal immigrants from residing in the U.S. if they're likely to rely on taxpayer-funded programs. Paxton tweeted, I've sued Biden over a dozen times to secure our southern border. Now, just as 2023 is starting, I'm bringing another lawsuit, the first of its kind in the nation, on Biden's disastrous new public charge rule. He added that he'll keep suing until officials follow the law. The Department of Homeland Security announced the fair and humane public charge rule last year, September. The agency says the rule restores the historical understanding of a public charge that had been in place for decades until the Trump administration reinterpreted its meaning. In his lawsuit, Paxton accused the Biden administration of furthering an open borders policy by enacting the new rule, which he says effectively nullifies federal law, excluding aliens likely to become public charges. According to the lawsuit, the rule excluding such immigrants has been in place since 1882 and was reaffirmed by Congress in 1996. Paxton says that by not enforcing the law, the Biden administration has opened the door to illegal immigrants who will be dependent on welfare. The lawsuit argues that the new rule was enacted in violation of federal law and is arbitrary. Paxton said in a statement that the Biden administration is committed to opening the borders to aliens who lack the ability to take care of themselves. Texans should not have to pay for these costly immigrants, nor should any other American. The DHS announcement from September says the rule speaks to the Biden administration's commitment to restoring faith in the United States' legal immigration system. Turning to Florida, hundreds of illegal immigrants have been removed from a remote island national park off the Florida coast. According to Homeland Security officials, Coast Guard cutters have brought more than 300 illegal immigrants to Key West. There, they will await their next step in their processing. These people are part of the over 700 migrants arriving in Florida over the New Year's weekend. Most of them are Cubans. Since August, more than 4,000 Cubans and Haitians have landed in Florida. That's amid deepening political and economic crises in both countries. In the same period, some 8,000 migrants were stopped at sea and sent back to their homelands, and over 60 people are known to have died at sea. An escaped Mexican cartel kingpin known as El Neto died after a shootout early on Thursday, this just four days after he fled prison in a violent mass breakout. Ernesto de la Cruz was tracked down by intelligence forces in the city of Juarez on the U.S. border and then shot after a pursuit. 
He reportedly crashed into a gas station, exited the vehicle, and began shooting at police before being injured. He died en route to the state attorney general's offices. El Neto was a top gunman for the Los Mexicles cartel. He escaped with 29 other inmates after raiders in armored vehicles attacked the prison in Juarez early on New Year's Day. A supermarket and a convenience store were attacked as decoys to distract police from Neto's escape. At least 19 people, including guards and other prisoners, died in the assault, one of Mexico's bloodiest prison raids in recent years. Former President Donald Trump says he will employ U.S. special forces and other military assets to inflict maximum damage on cartels crossing the southern border. That's if he's elected again as commander-in-chief. Trump accuses the drug cartels of waging war on America. In a video posted on Truth Social, the former president says the time has come for America to wage war on the cartels. Trump pledges to deploy cyber warfare capabilities and impose a full naval embargo on the cartels to prevent the traffic of illicit drugs to the U.S. Trump's plan would designate major drug cartels as foreign terrorist organizations and cut them off from the global financial system. He's also calling on Congress to impose the death penalty for convicted drug traffickers. The TSA is ushering in a new policy that makes U.S. airport security checks transgender-friendly. It has dubbed the new screening system Advanced Imaging Technology, and today's Daniel Monahan has the details. TSA will not provide any details about what's behind the technology. However, its statements suggest it is designed mostly to prevent transgender females who are biological men from being flagged for a strip search. A group of Republican lawmakers called the new policy insanity and introduced a bill in that namesake. Called the Securing Americas from Transportation Insanity Act, the measure seeks to block the removal of gender-based airport security screening. Representative Bob Good says, quote, the new so-called gender-neutral TSA screening policies are yet another example of the radical gender ideology being pushed by the Biden administration. Good is one of the co-sponsors of the proposal. Its prime sponsor is Representative Lauren Boebert. She described the new trans-friendly airport security as, quote, practically inviting terrorists to take advantage of a weak and woke security system. Responses to the new policy have been mixed. Many transgender airline passengers have complained on social media about the humiliating experience of having to expose themselves to TSA security officers. They have also expressed frustration about being patted down for wearing transgender-related devices, as well as being patted down by TSA officers of the wrong gender. Meanwhile, Republicans against the new policy express concern that it will be used as a cover in an attempt to smuggle weapons in those sensitive areas. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. With the speakership up in the air, House Democrats are still getting down to business. A group has called on Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg to take stronger action against Southwest. Two dozen of the Democrats who plan to sit on the House Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure wrote a letter to Buttigieg. They called on his department to come down harder on Southwest Airlines. Southwest canceled more than 15,000 flights after a winter storm last month, leaving millions of passengers stranded over the holidays. The letter says the DOT should make sure, quote, airlines are able to maintain a reasonable level of operational capabilities in the event of extreme weather or other type of potential disruption. The airline says it's issuing refunds for canceled flights and any additional expenses. Southwest says it's also locating lost bags. 
More details are out about the murder of four college students in Idaho last November. The suspect made his first Idaho court appearance, and today's Andrew Thomas has the details on how the community is responding to the latest developments. 28-year-old Brian Koberger has been working towards a criminal justice PhD at Washington State University, about 10 miles from the University of Idaho campus in Moscow. He faces four counts of first-degree murder and burglary. Both the Washington State and University of Idaho communities reacted to his arrest. My granddaughter actually is a student at the University of Idaho, so she has been doing online classes since this has occurred. Uh, she'll be back next week, and it's because we do have a suspect in custody now. Well, now that they caught the guy, uh, I'm not as afraid, but the like week or two after the murders, especially because uh, there was like no evidence, or not evidence, but uh, no details, it just, it felt scary. Harrowing details of the murders were revealed in a newly unsealed affidavit on Thursday. Police initially said the two unharmed roommates didn't wake up until later that morning. But the newly unsealed affidavit says one of the surviving roommates awoke at about 4 a.m. She opened her door twice when she heard a woman say there was someone in the house. When she heard crying, she opened her door a third time and saw a man clad in black. He walked past her and she locked herself in her room. Yeah, it's been pretty heavy. I think I was reading the affidavit today and um, it's just really uh, evil, I think, for lack of a better word. and. Um, I think initially it was just really shaking because we're, we're really close to it. The suspect didn't enter a plea and is being held without bail. A status hearing is scheduled for January 12th. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Coming up, California sees its second day of heavy storms. Santa Cruz pummeled with surf and rain. Forecasters warn of more to come in the next several days. We have that and more just after this break. A massive Pacific storm battered parts of California for a second day yesterday. High winds, torrential rain, and heavy snow knocked out power to tens of thousands of homes. Flash floods, rock slides, and toppled trees disrupted road travel. Coastal properties were pummeled in Santa Cruz. At least one bridge and one pier were severely damaged. Forecasters say the storm was powered by two overlapping phenomena, an airborne stream of dense moisture called an atmospheric river and a hurricane force low pressure system known as a bomb cyclone. Many in the low-lying flats of the city had their homes flooded. Here's what local residents had to say about the storm. Street was basically a river because uh, it's the steep hill flowing down it. Um, and it led to, helped uh, lead to all of this. Broken windows and roll down shutters, uh, all kinds of debris, logs. Like I said, a boulder smashed into a house over here. This is a quite a significant um, amount of waves and devastation to the cliffs. Um, but we are so thankful that for the sense of people helping people and checking in on each other. There's a house down at the end of the private neighborhood that completely lifted off its foundation is sitting in the middle of the street blocking the rest of the neighborhood off. The National Weather Service says more can be expected over the next couple of days. They warned of flash flooding and mudslides in places saturated from repeated downpours. They say the most vulnerable areas are bare hillsides stripped of vegetation from past wildfires. 
The Kilauea volcano in Hawaii began erupting on Thursday. The Hawaiian Volcano Observatory says a glow was detected in the summit, producing smog in the Hawaii Volcanoes National Park. The volcano alert level was raised to red after an evaluation of the eruption. The volcanic gas consists of sulfur dioxide and other gases. It could produce a volcanic smog known as VOG, which has been observed downwind of Kilauea. It could cause breathing difficulties and also damage crops. The Kilauea volcano has been erupting since 2021. It's the younger and more active neighbor of Mauna Loa, which erupted in November for the first time since 1984. Both are on Hawaii's Big Island. An Iowa woman who was believed to be the oldest living person in the U.S. has died at the age of 115. Bessie Lorena Hendricks of Lake City died Tuesday at the Shady Oaks Care Center. Hendricks celebrated her 115th birthday at the nursing home on November 7th. She was listed last year by the Los Angeles-based Gerontology Research Group as the country's oldest living person. Born in 1907 in west-central Iowa, Hendricks was alive to witness news of the sinking of the Titanic, World War I and II, the Great Depression, and both the Spanish flu and COVID-19 pandemics. According to the Des Moines Register, she was a teacher in a one-room schoolhouse and the mother of five children. She is survived by three of her children. Some people never learn. An escaped inmate is back in custody in Tyler, Texas. We have video of him on the run in his orange jumpsuit. Let's take a look. Timothy Chappelle managed to break out of a van when he was being transported between two Smith County jails. While on the run, he broke into two homes. Deputies then caught him and returned him to custody. Authorities say Chappelle was able to escape by kicking out a window. It was reinforced with a cage, but not well enough and the force of his kick stripped the screws holding it in place. The sheriff says the van will be retrofitted with bars. Chappelle was originally in custody on a criminal mischief charge. He's now facing burglary and escape charges as well. And just ahead, hospitals in Shanghai are overflowing with patients. In one hospital, beds line the corridors of the emergency treatment area and main lobby. And a warning from NATO's top leader, Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg, cautions against economic dependence on China. We'll have the details soon when we return. Welcome back. China is facing all kinds of issues right now. One of the most concerning ones, COVID. Numbers continue to rise and hospitals in Shanghai are overflowing with patients. Beds line the corridors of the emergency treatment area and main lobby on Thursday. Most of them elderly and several were breathing with oxygen tanks. A notice advised patients that they would have to wait an average of five hours to be seen. This has become a common scene across China. With emergency wards filled to the brink and patients lining up for hours to get treatment, China had defended its COVID handling measures and said the country's epidemic situation is controllable. However, videos from China tell a different story. The collapse of the medical system, pharmacies out of stock, funeral homes overflowing. Uh, 
The Chinese regime now defines COVID deaths as death by pneumonia and respiratory failure for patients who had the virus. The World Health Organization criticized the regime for underrepresenting the severity of its outbreak and said the definition was too narrow. Disease experts outside China say its approach misses other widely recognized types of fatal COVID complications from blood clots to heart attacks, sepsis, and kidney failure. An epidemiologist with the University of Hong Kong says at least one million COVID-related deaths in China this winter is quite possible. Shi Wenrong reporting, NTD News. One thing that might be worth following closely, while the outbreak is becoming more severe, the Chinese regime is relaxing its travel restrictions. China expects passenger trips during the Lunar New Year to reach 2.1 billion this year, which is double from 2022. The first foreign vaccine doses have arrived in China, but they're not for Chinese citizens. German nationals living in China can now receive their first dose or booster of the German-made BioNTech jab. I think I'm among the first ones in the German community here to get a booster in China. Whether it's too late or not, it's the only chance I've got, and no one knows how long it will be available. So now is the right moment for me. Wellendorf explained he couldn't go back to Germany to get a booster shot because China's travel ban has made a trip abroad impossible. Germans over the age of 12 can access BioNTech in five cities, Beijing, Shanghai, Shenyang, Guangzhou, and Chengdu. About 14,000 German nationals live in China, and more than 8,000 doses of BioNTech vaccine have been shipped. The deal allowing that was made during the German Chancellor's November trip to Beijing. That followed Berlin's clearance of Chinese vaccines for Chinese nationals living in Germany. China hasn't yet approved the widespread use of any non-Chinese vaccines, despite soaring infection rates. A U.S. warship sailed through the sensitive Taiwan Strait on Thursday. The U.S. military has referred to it as routine activity in the area. The move has angered China, which claims autonomy in the region, despite objections from Taiwan's democratically elected government. The U.S. military issued a statement saying its guided missile destroyer's transit through the Taiwan Strait demonstrates the United States' commitment to free and open Indo-Pacific. The narrow Taiwan Strait has been a frequent source of military tension since communists took power in mainland China in 1949. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg has a warning over economic dependence on China, and Australia is planning to purchase U.S.-made long-range missiles as China grows more assertive in the region. NTD's Tiffany Meyer brings us more on the story. Australia boosting its long-range strike capability with the purchase of a U.S. missile system. The effectiveness of the HIMARS uh, system in the Ukrainian conflict has certainly influenced uh, the government's decision here. HIMARS is the same long-range military technology Ukraine is using in its war against Russia. But for Australia's defence focus, China seems to be the target. It's also something where we, as an ally of the United States, can support their efforts and air force posture in uh, uh, the Pacific region as well. Last year, China signed a security pact with the Solomon Islands in the Pacific. The move heightened Australian and U.S. concerns about China's assertiveness in the region. 
According to the Australian government, the HIMARS system will include launchers, missiles and training rockets and will be used by 2026. The Australian Army will be going from having an ability to strike targets 30 kilometres away to eventually being able to strike targets at ranges greater than 499 kilometres. The system is part of Australia's over $700 million budget for new missiles and rockets. The leader of the world's largest military alliance is sounding the alarm. The issue? Western economies' dependence on China. On Thursday, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg warned that over-reliance on Chinese products would, quote, make us vulnerable. We shouldn't make the same mistake when it comes to other authoritarian regimes, especially China. We cannot make ourselves so dependent on commodities and products from them that it makes us vulnerable. We must prevent that. We export technology to them that they then use to threaten us with. We need to strengthen control of our infrastructure, from ports and airports to 5G networks. Stoltenberg further called on the West to invest in security. He noted, quote, nobody is saying that we shouldn't trade with China. But what is important is that we do it in ways that don't undermine our security. His warning came as Russia mobilizes new forces against Ukraine. Stoltenberg also said not to underestimate Putin's ambitions. Tensions between Taipei and Beijing present a complicated situation. Taiwan is closely tied to China in many ways, not just economically, but also militarily. Concerns arose on the island Wednesday after a key component of the island's most advanced missiles turned up in China. The weapons are called carrier killers. A key device used to calibrate them was shipped to a manufacturer in Europe for repairs, but was then returned to Taiwan from China. The missile device was sent to China for repairs by a Swiss company that operates a maintenance center there. Taiwan's missile developer said no data had been leaked after checking the returned device. But experts say Taiwan must be careful. The island is discussing measures to avoid similar equipment being maintained in China. The Biden administration is moving to reopen the U.S. Embassy in the Solomon Islands. That's to counter the growing threat of China in the Pacific. The State Department says it will soon set up a temporary embassy in the capital of the island nation, right on the site of the former U.S. consulate. The embassy will initially staff two diplomats and five local employees. The annual cost is expected at $1.8 million, but Washington's ultimate plan is to build a permanent facility with larger staffing. The U.S. closed its embassy after the Cold War in 1993, but China's threat in the Indo-Pacific region is sparking concerns. Since the Solomon Islands struck a deal with China last February, the U.S. has sent several high-level delegations to the islands. The foreign and defense ministers of Japan and the United States will hold talks on security and cooperation in Washington on Wednesday. The so-called 2 plus 2 meeting of the allies will discuss ways to achieve a free and open Indo-Pacific, according to Japan's foreign ministry. The meeting will be held ahead of talks between Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida and U.S. President Joe Biden at the White House on January 13th. 
South Korea will consider terminating a 2018 inter-Korean military agreement if North Korea's military makes further incursions into its airspace. That's according to a South Korean official following the North's recent drone intrusion. The agreement was signed by former South Korean President Moon Jae-in and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un in 2018 to end military hostilities between their nations. Termination of the agreement could result in the resumption of live fire drills along the demarcation line separating the two Koreas. North Korea sent five drones into South Korea on December 26th. One of them briefly entered a no-fly zone surrounding South Korea's presidential office. This prompted South Korea to deploy fighter jets and fire about 100 rounds at the drones, but none were shot down and they flew over South Korean cities for hours. In response, South Korea's president has demanded the military develop a drone unit for surveillance operations, develop stealth drones, and mass-produce small drones by the end of the year. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And coming up, no ceasefire between Russia and Ukraine as Orthodox Christmas approaches. Ukraine is rejecting a Russian proposal for a 36-hour truce. And both the U.S. and Germany are set to deliver armored vehicles to Ukraine. This marks the first time the U.S. is giving Ukraine the Bradley fighting vehicles. We'll return with that and more after this break. Zooming in on the war in Ukraine, Kyiv has rejected Russia's proposal for a temporary ceasefire. Russia said the truce would be for Orthodox Christmas on January 7th. Russian President Vladimir Putin called for a 36-hour ceasefire to mark Orthodox Christmas. Russia's Orthodox Church observes Christmas on January 7th, along with some in Ukraine, but many Ukrainian believers celebrate Christmas on December 25th. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky accused Russia of proposing the truce to stop Ukrainian advances while bringing in more men and equipment. Ukraine rejected the proposal. The last genuine truce in Ukraine was back in May 2022. The Defense Ministry of Belarus said Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko visited a military base where Russian troops are stationed. During the meeting, Lukashenko, an unnamed representative from the Russian army, discussed the two countries' joint military drills. Belarus is closely allied with Moscow and said Thursday that it will receive more weapons from Russia as the two boost their military cooperation. This has fueled fears it could be used as a staging post to attack Ukraine from the north. Minsk says it will not enter into the conflict in Ukraine. However, Russia used Belarus as a launch pad when it sent troops into Ukraine on February 24th, and Ukraine claims Russia continues to use Belarusian airspace for drone and missile strikes. The U.S. plans to send Ukraine nearly $3 billion in military aid. The massive new package includes, for the first time, several dozen Bradley fighting vehicles. The Bradley is an armored carrier used to transport troops to combat. It's known as a tank killer because of the anti-tank missile it can fire. The move is the Biden administration's latest step to send increasingly lethal and powerful weapons to help Ukraine beat back Russian forces. European allies also stepped up their weapons commitments. Germany announced it will provide armored personnel carriers and a Patriot missile battery to Ukraine, while France says it will soon hold talks to arrange for the delivery of armored combat vehicles. 
And the U.S. isn't acting alone. Germany said today it also plans to deliver fighting vehicles to Ukraine. Germany is set to send Ukraine around 40 martyr infantry fighting vehicles within the first quarter. That's enough to equip a battalion. The martyr has been used in the German army since the 1970s, but is being replaced by newer models. They are armed with 20-millimeter autocannons and anti-tank guided missile launchers. Training on the Martyr vehicle is set to take place in Germany and last about eight weeks. Germany said they will also send a Patriot anti-aircraft missile system within the first quarter. Ukraine has been asking for heavier weapons from the West. The holder of the McDonald's franchise in Kazakhstan is dropping its license, meaning it will no longer operate under the U.S. brand. Food Solutions KZ says it made the decision due to supply issues. The company promises to reopen its restaurants soon, but with a new brand. After cutting ties with Russian companies, Food Solutions KZ is running out of supplies. It was forced to close its restaurants temporarily in November. The West has stepped up sanctions against Moscow following its war in Ukraine. This has had a ripple effect on businesses in neighboring countries. Russia is a major trading partner of Kazakhstan. Like Food Solutions KZ, other companies in the country are dealing with similar supply issues. McDonald's didn't respond to whether it would pull out of the Kazakhstan market. On January 1, 1993, the state of Czechoslovakia vanished to be replaced by independent Czech and Slovak republics. Now, 30 years later, former Czech President Václav Klaus reflects on the country's peaceful dissolution and the lessons learned. 30 years ago, on January 1, 1993, the dissolution of Czechoslovakia came into effect. In its place, two new countries were formed, the Czech and Slovak republics. The split has been dubbed the Velvet Divorce for the peaceful manner in which it was achieved. Former Czech Prime Minister Václav Klaus, who negotiated the split, says the dissolution was inevitable. In Czechoslovakia, the Slovaks had a feeling that the Czechs are the bigger brother, big brother and older brother, and that the Slovaks are in the second, second, secondary position in the country. I, I think that my task was to make the split, which I considered at that moment inevitable, to make the split friendly, peaceful, and, and fair. Journalist Yuzi Skatsel recalls being in the Slovak capital city of Bratislava when he learned about the news. The Slovaks had very much wanted to become independent. I was in Bratislava on January 1st, 1993, and there was a huge queue in front of the main post office. When I asked what they are waiting for, they told me they are waiting for the first Slovak post stamps. But the main post office was only open for the first time that year on the 2nd, and those people had to wait there for another whole day. It remains untested whether the general public supported the breakup. At the time, the dissolution of Czechoslovakia was not put to a popular vote. Klaus and his Slovak counterpart Vladimir Mečiar refused to hold a referendum on the issue, a decision that some are still unhappy about. I think Václav Klaus is probably one of the people who destroyed Czechoslovakia, and it makes me sad to say that, but I think... American diplomat Cameron Munter worked at the U.S. Embassy in Prague in 1993. I think most public opinion polls at the time were not in favor of splitting, but Mr. Mečiar and Mr. Klaus for their own reasons, felt they should. Now, all this being said, 
I think we're fortunate that it was a peaceful uh, uh, split and that people have made, uh, people are still friendly with their Slovak friends, etc. The peaceful dissolution of Czechoslovakia stood in stark contrast to the wider state of Eastern European affairs following the fall of communism. Blood was shed in Yugoslavia when that state collapsed into warfare and ethnic cleansing. Klaus, who went on to serve as the Czech president between 2003 and 2013, says that the Czechoslovak example shows that states can divide peacefully without the need for warfare. I, I would add to Kosovo and other countries, I would add, add even Ukraine, you know. I, my understanding and my experience tells me that you have to negotiate. You have to negotiate as long as possible. That's the only way how to avoid a fighting or a war or a dramatic situation. Just ahead, following a bill currently in debate in France's parliament, more wind power plants could be installed in the country. But some experts and associations oppose this plan and dispute its efficacy. And European ski resorts are struggling to survive a snow-starved season, as the continent saw its warmest January on record. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. Good to have you back with us. In the UK, rail passengers faced a fourth consecutive day of travel disruption because of a strike by train drivers. Services were crippled by the walkout by members of ASLEF at 15 rail companies in a long-running dispute over pay, with some areas having no trains all day. ASLEF General Secretary Mick Whelan said it was inevitable that further strikes will be held unless the deadlock is broken. The action follows a 48-hour strike by members of the Rail, Maritime and Transport Union, or RMT, which led to widespread disruption across the country. The latest wave of industrial action comes as the Times newspaper reports the Prime Minister could announce legislation to enforce minimum service levels during strikes as early as this week. However, a significant pay raise for public sector workers is also reportedly under consideration as a means of ending the strikes. In France, members of parliament are debating a bill that aims to decarbonize French, industry, French energy production and industry. Among its measures, it would provide more subsidies for green energy, but the French are divided over, con- over constructing more wind turbines in the countryside. Entities France correspondent David Vives has the story. The French government is a fierce opponent of the recently passed U.S. Inflation Reduction Act calling it a major threat to European companies. Now the parliament in France reviewing what appears to be a French version of the billion-dollar subsidy scheme for green industries. The French bill also aims to speed up the decarbonization of the economy. Different industries will benefit from new subsidies, taxes and regulations. The bill will boost the installation of wind power plants in France, on land as well as offshore. The government moves has triggered the position in Parliament. Some members brought up the impact of wind turbines on the ecosystem. Indeed, 
This bill will likely favor wind energy developers at the expense of protecting biodiversity, the countryside, and our heritage. This bill is shocking. I will quote again this terrible figure. For each wind turbine, an average of 27 birds are found dead each year, killed by the blades. Official figures show that over 8,000 land-based wind turbines have been erected across France. For years, thousands of local groups have worked to oppose the presence of the 190-meter-high turbines in the countryside. Opponents also point to the costs of producing electricity from wind power. The electricity produced by wind farms is purchased by the national electricity distributor at about 80 pounds per kilowatt hour. In comparison, nuclear energy costs about 30 pounds per kilowatt hour. To make up for the higher costs, the government paying 36 billion pounds over nine years to support the development of wind power in France. According to author Louis Fouché, state subsidies paid by taxpayers are the main reason for the development of wind power. I know a forester in central France. He has been offered 200,000 euros per year, guaranteed over 30 years to install 25 wind turbines in his forest. The same thing was promised to the departmental council, the general council, the mayor of the commune, and the, the president. So this, what this wind turbine business is all about, it's a story of widespread corruption. Fouché says green energy lobbyists take advantage of their influence on policy. They bet money on the future that doesn't exist yet. But it doesn't matter. They know that they are going to take the market anyway because they are also in touch with the people who make the laws and the people who determine the energy mix. That doesn't mean that I don't think there is an environmental problem. I think there is one. French Member of Parliament are expected to vote on the bill next week. David Vives, NTD News. It's a challenging start to the new year for many European ski resorts, with countries across the continent recording their warmest start to January ever. A lack of snow means a tough ski season lies ahead, and businesses are struggling to survive. Due to unusual mild temperatures, Switzerland's world-renowned ski slopes have been a disappointment this holiday season. The lack of snow has severely disrupted operations at many ski resorts across Europe. This week, temperatures in a resort village of Vaud Alps climbed to 8 degrees Celsius, with rain expected in the forecast. Only a handful of skiers could be seen descending a slope where a narrow pass of artificial snow had been laid to create a semblance of winter. We have a decrease in usage of around 35 to 40 percent if we compare it to last year, which was a very good year. If we compare it to the last five years, we have less than 20 percent of decrease. This tourist from the U.S. said she was disappointed. And we have no snow on the East Coast in the U.S. either right now, so all my friends were excited for me to come ski over here and have lots of snow. So, same problem there. <laughs> This man said he was laid off from a restaurant located on the top of the only open ski slope. Quite frankly, we don't know what to expect. So of course they say that if it knows, we will get our jobs back. But it's a bit complicated to rely on this because we have bills and a rent to pay. Many low-lying ski resorts 
have been forced to close. The ones that remain open are trying to occupy tourists with other forms of leisure, such as opening its alpine bike paths. In the Balkan nation of Bosnia, the mountains near Sarajevo once hosted the Winter Olympics, but now are literally snowless. It's even impossible to make artificial snow as temperatures reach 10 degrees Celsius and over. God and nature proved stronger than us and made it impossible to make snow for our dear guests, who are coming in large numbers. Our accommodations have been full in the last few days, but skiing remains impossible. Recent satellite imagery showed ski resorts in France, Switzerland and Austria, with significantly less snow compared to this time last year. And staying in Europe, people in Bulgaria celebrated the Christian holiday of Epiphany today. And part of their traditional celebration is to dance in an icy river. On Epiphany, it's traditional for Bulgarian Orthodox men to compete against one another to recover a crucifix thrown into a frozen lake or river. After the crucifix is found, the men celebrate. They put their arms around each other's shoulders and dance in a circle to music played on drums and bagpipes. In Western traditions, Epiphany marks the arrival of the three wise men to see the newborn baby Jesus. In Eastern Orthodox tradition, the day commemorates the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist in the River Jordan. And still to come, treasure hunters in the Netherlands are busy. They're looking for the spot where German soldiers supposedly hid millions of dollars of treasure during World War II. Get the story in just a minute. An old map is believed to mark the spot where German soldiers hid millions of dollars of treasure. This was in the Netherlands during World War II. Now, amateur treasure hunters comb through the fields of the east of the country looking for the loot. Entity's Andrew Thomas has more on their adventures. Armed with metal detectors and shovels, groups wander through the Dutch countryside. They're following a map from the Dutch National Archive. It's believed to lead to four large boxes filled with diamonds, rubies, gold, silver, and all sorts of jewelry. The Nazis had looted the treasure after an explosion at a bank in August 1944. My daughter and I projected the map from 1944 onto the current map, and our conclusion is that the cross here corresponds to a road crossing in the shape of a fork here, and the little cross indicating the treasure here on the left map is here on the right map, which is where we are standing at the moment. Experienced detectorist Jan Hensen says he has spent decades combing the area. Like so many, I am quite tickled by the news of this treasure. I am a serious searcher. I have been searching in this area for 30 years and I have found nice objects, especially Roman ones. But now suddenly we are told something we haven't known for all these years, and there is probably Nazi treasure buried here. The map was obtained from a German soldier shortly after the war the existence of the treasure could never be fully confirmed. And there were various failed attempts to find it in 1947. Former Omerman Mayor Klaus Thomas runs the foundation that owns some land that might hide the treasure. He said he understands the excitement, but is worried it might get out of hand. I get it, but I really think it will be hard to find. On the other hand, being the president of the foundation which owns this land, I am also a bit afraid knowing that people will start digging haphazardly. I hope it won't get out of hand. 
these treasure hunters haven't found much, but X always marks the spot. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Strollers may not immediately come to mind when you think of high-tech innovations, but a new product has been making waves at this year's Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. It's a hands-free, self-driving smart stroller. Called Ella, the stroller is the brainchild of Vancouver-based husband and wife team Ann Hunger and Kevin Huang. They come up with the concept after the birth of their child in 2020 and founded their startup company Gluxkind. The stroller is powered by AI with sensors all around the stroller, which give it a 360-degree safety bubble. So when you're going uphill, you can have push assist where you can literally have fingers on to, to move like 100 pounds. You use this effortless. And then when you are when you're out of range, it would stop. It brakes automatically, and it also works on downhill too. For the stroller to operate, the parent must be with it. When the child is inside, at least one hand is required on the handlebar. It can self-drive or operate hands-free, but only when a baby isn't inside. The Ella stroller also has a rock my baby mode to rock a child to sleep gently. The couple plans to sell this new product starting from $3,800. They will be launching a pre-order campaign in March with delivery starting June this year. Over in Australia, tennis matches among nonagenarians. The 90-year-olds will compete next week as part of a charity program to raise money for Ukraine. 99-year-old Australian Henry Young is set to play a 98-year-old Ukrainian man in a charity match in Melbourne next Wednesday. The match is called the Battle of the Centurions. It's part of an event to raise money for Ukraine called Tennis Plays for Peace. To prepare for the match, Young trained with Italian professional tennis player Yannick Sinner, ranked world number 15. The Tennis Plays for Peace event is part of the build-up to this year's Australian Open, which starts on January 16th. Rare white tiger triplets are making their public debut in eastern China. One has black stripes, while the other two are snow white. The baby tigers are only three months old, and they love playing with keepers in the safari park. Snow tigers are a rare variant of the Bengal tiger. The chance of their occurrence is one in 100,000. Zoo officials hold an online naming campaign in a bid to draw more attention to this endangered species. There are now a total of nine snow tigers in China. Conservationists in the United Kingdom are celebrating the return of Europe's heaviest flying birds. The Great Bustard is back on grasslands of southern England for the first time in a century and a half. The Great Bustard was hunted to extinction in Britain in the late 19th century, but thanks to the dedication of conservationist Dave Waters, they're back. Famed for being the heaviest flying birds in Europe, the males can weigh up to 48 pounds. They are now up to 100 birds on Salisbury's Plain in Wiltshire. Over 20 years, Water and a team of volunteers have been working on breeding great bustards. They collected eggs from endangered nests in Russia and Spain. They found a record number of nests last year, and Waters hopes the breeding population in the UK is now capable of sustaining itself. That's all for today's program. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.